Here's our teaching analogy this morning. Let's talk about the chemistry of carbonated beverages. We carbonate beverages by super chilling them and then running carbon dioxide through them, and you dissolve gas into the aqueous solution. It just makes it fizzy. And we all know how this works. So it's got bubbles in it, right? So it makes it fizzy. It also makes it somewhat acidic because carbon dioxide will make carbonic acid, probably give us a pH of three or four, and that's not good for your teeth, as Dr. James will attest, but he'll gladly pull you them and give you some nice acrylic ones. Yeah, and then you can just do whatever you want to do. And we will point out he is super racist because he advertises on the country giant. That is racist. Not really. It's playing to your demographic. If he did gold grills, he'd be playing on the rap station. If I did gold grills, I'd be advertising on the rap station because ain't no country western line dancer putting grills in his mouth. But Kicks 98, 98 Jams will. So anyway, back to our carbonic acid carbonated beverage. We know that there's dissolved gas in there. I don't know what volume it is, but we know how this works. We shake it up and the bubbles come to the top. And uh, this is good for a lot of different analogies. I've observed as a pastor and just as a friend to other ministers, when God calls us, we're like this. We seem to be, we seem to have our act together. We know that if we shake this thing up, though, it turns violent real quick. But God calls us, and as long as pressure's, a, uh, pressure's in our life and everything's are in place, nothing comes to the surface. Uh, let us use the dissolved gas as a metaphor for sin, and that as long as it's there uh, under pressure, nothing comes to the surface. But I have noticed that we get called, uh, and we have all sorts of sin in our life, and that's part of it. God calls us the way we are, and then he changes us. One of the things I've noticed, though, if you take the lid off this, you, bubbles will begin to form, usually at the bottom. And one of the analogies I've used recently is that that bubble's been there all along, it forms, and because of pressure, even atmospheric pressure, it's small at the bottom, but as it makes its way to the top, it actually gets bigger because the pressure is removed, so the gas expands. And in one regard, this is a good analogy for dealing with sin in your life when it's yet small. Because if you wait too long, it'll be big, and when it hits the surface of your life, things are going to be turbulent. All right? But now we also understand there's a lot of dissolved gas in here, and we can shake this thing up really violently. And there might be some fizzing, and then it quickly, because of pressure, returns to normal. The gas is reabsorbed, and things are cool. And this is kind of how we know how to behave when authority is around us. We don't blow up on the job. We don't blow up in the house of God. We don't blow up when the police officer pulls us over. We don't blow up in front of the professor. Unless, of course, you're just crazy. There are those that have blown up on me. There are those that blow up on a cop. There are those that blow up in the professor's presence. There are those that blow up on the job. And they always end up worse off. Fired, excommunicated, arrested, uh, kicked out of school, etc. But just dealing with good old church folk, we know how to be shook up. And as long as there's a head in our life... Boss, cop, judge, administrator. We know how to quickly absorb all that back again. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. 
Yeah, no, 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 nothing wrong here. Everything's okay. But we will feel free to explode on people we don't regard as head, which in marriages is typically wives blowing up on their husbands, husbands acting like jerks to their wives, um, kids acting all manner of foolishness everywhere they are. And one of the things I have taught and continue to teach is that one of the reasons we discipline our kids is so they learn to submit their will to somebody else because we've learned as adults our whole life rises and falls on our ability to submit to somebody else. All right, that's where you just went like Methodist on me. Your whole life rises and falls on your ability to submit to somebody else. You submit to your boss. You submit to your professor. You don't agree with how your professor does their tests, when they do them, how they do them. Test is at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night. They don't care if you got a party, a birthday party, or church service. Test is at... Why? 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 Because I want it then. Yes, sir. Your boss asks you for an extra five hours of overtime on Thursday afternoon. You show up. Our life rises and falls on our ability to submit to the will of another, usually somebody greater than us. And wherever you're at in life, I would say, generally speaking, God has you there by divine assignment. We'll just assume that as a safety, a safe variable. So that even that professor who's a jerk, the Lord know they were going to be a jerk to you. And he still said, submit. Even that boss who's unreasonable, the Lord has you there so you can learn to grow up and deal with it. And the Lord says, submit. And the church you don't like or the preacher you don't agree with, the Lord still says, submit. Now, here's the funny thing about submission. Submission has nothing to do with agreement. In fact, my pastor to whom I am submitted to, not just in word service, lip service, or my little uh, uh, ordination card, my pastor says, you haven't really submitted until you disagreed. That's when submission is really tested. And in that regard, most Americans know nothing about submission because they're happy to walk along with somebody as long as they agree. And then when they disagree, well, we just have to part ways. Well, you just failed the submission test. We're not talking about drinking Kool-Aid. We're not talking about mortgaging your house to, to fund some money, uh, uh, some greedy money embezzler. We're just talking about like dress nice for church, the nicest you got. I don't care if you wear a suit or tie, but just dress the nice you got. And, and if it's ugly, just tuck it in and make it look as best you can. And believe God for better. We are so opinionated as a people, we think if we disagree, it exempts us from the laws of God. Well, I just don't agree with the boss. Well, do you want a paycheck or not? But see, that's a rebellion that's in us. And we won't vent to them, but we'll go home and vent. And we need to make sure that we understand the rules of submission is you've not really submitted to your boss, your husband, your parents until you disagreed and out of honor for God, assuming it's not sin, you obey. Now, let me teach the balance real quick because this is cookful and the spiritual road in this region is very steeply crowned. It's more like this. If you know what a crown, the crown of a road, when we, I did DOT work for a long time, you always design your roads with a slight crown so the, ro- the rain washes off. Typically, it's supposed to be subtle enough that you don't notice it. Here in this region, our crown is... So no matter what I teach, you guys are going to go in one ditch or the other. I teach submission. Half you want to drink Kool-Aid. The other won't even like Kool-Aid. I ain't ain't drinking nothing. I'm going to die of starvation because he said drink Kool-Aid. I really try to pastor with a bulldozer that just knocks the tip off of this region. 
So when I talk about submit, if your mama says, go buy me a pack of cigarettes, you politely say no. Or vaping juice, no. Or booze, no. We can honor our backslidden husbands without buying them booze. Yeah, so we don't uh, obey everything. If it's sin, we obey none of it. But you can still submit out of honor. And until you have disagreed, you have not submitted. Disagreement proves your ability to submit. And uh, really, uh, we've got to get our heart right on this subject. You've got to be able to trust the leadership God has in your life, even if it's a Pakistani Muslim who cusses you every time he comes to town, which was my experience for several years as a younger geologist. I could submit to that man in a heartbeat. Because even though he's vile, vulgar, he manifested a demon on me once. I don't care. He's my boss. He gives me raises, and he takes care of me. And he's a little rough around the edges, but he's taught me a lot, and I can submit so long as it's not unethical. Funny thing is, he was a Pakistani Muslim. He was never unscrupulous or unethical when it came to business, but all my Christian bosses were. He never asked me to do anything illegal or unethical, but my Christian bosses that I had did. And that disgusts me. So I will happily submit to a Muslim boss who is ruthless, hardcore, and driven because he has ethics. His Islam was doing a lot more for him than the denominational Christianity was doing for my other bosses. Anyway, plus he never tapped a Koran and said, I'm a Muslim and I fear God, whereas my Christian bosses would tap their Bible and say, I go to the church and I fear God, and then ask me to do something immoral on my time card. Anyway, so let's just throw this out there because I want to move on. Submission does not begin until you disagree. And you're going to disagree because you have an opinion. But trust all the authority God puts in your life. Your professor, your boss, the police officer who pulls you over because you were doing 95 in a school zone past a nunnery. <laughs> you deserve to get pulled over. Your school teacher, your mom, your dad, your pastor. Trust the authority God puts in your life and pass the submission test and quit being a little reprobate. Because here's the deal. If you're a parent and you start bellyaching about authority, you're going to sow rebellion and insubordination in the hearts of your kids. And they'll be twofold more the child of rebellion than you. What you ought to say is, no, we respect the police. Are there bad ones? Yep. Just like there's a bad everything in the earth. We respect teachers. Are there bad ones? Yep, have sex with students all the time. Something weird with a 26-year-old girl wants to have sex with a 13-year-old boy. Happens all the time. We've had so much sexual sin at our high school, and it gets covered up season after season after season. This little town is a corrupt, hick stank hole. And that's being polite. You educators know what I'm talking about. We had a teacher years ago that had a list of all the students he'd slept with. 30, 40, 50, a lot. More than 50? Don't know. And it was all just swept away. So do we respect teachers? Yes. Are there some horrible ones? Yes. Are there horrible pastors out there? Yes. One just got arrested for soliciting a woman he thought was a minor to have sex with her in a police sting. And it wasn't his first time to be busted in sexual sin, and his church runs 4,000. How corrupt are you when you're 
a pastor, and the night before you preach, you're busted in a police sting because you've been communicating with a cop who you assumed was a 13, 14-year-old girl who you wanted to meet with and had sex. And so he set up the appointments in the news right now, and he met with her. He went there to engage in sex with her, except it's cops, and it's a sting. And I say, go, cops, go. <laughs> Them some good cops right there. And may he go to jail, and may they give him some justice. Amen. Amen. How about politicians? Are there some good ones? Yes, by faith in Jesus' name, there's some good ones out there. Are there some bad ones? Of course. Yeah. So any professors the same way? You got some professors who just want to educate you in their, their field of study that they love, and then the others with an agenda, and everybody's human. So let's practice this submission thing. We're not telling you to do anything illegal, unethical. No, you don't submit to that. I've been threatened to be fired by many bosses because I refuse to do unethical things. So we don't compromise integrity. But at the same time, if you've never disagreed, you've never submitted. So don't deceive yourself. If you've never disagreed, you've never submitted. All right? So that's a rebellion that gets shaken in, in our heart here. And this is, service is not going the direction I thought it would go. But here it is nonetheless. We have stuff in us. And the funny thing is the only way to get this dissolved uh, carbonic acid or this uh, carbon dioxide out is either to shake it, which we know that'll cause this to go flat, but it's also explosive, or to heat it up. Because the only way to dissolve the gas in there is to cool it, super chill it, and then keep it under pressure. That's where you get into your triple phase diagrams in chemistry. Keep it under pressure or keep it cold. Or if we take the lid off, we can shake it up, it'll go flat. Or we can take the lid off, heat it up, it'll go flat. Consequently, it's the same two way God, God gets stuff out of us. He shakes up our life or he heats things up. And we shouldn't be surprised if we turn a little violent from time to time. Anybody ever blow up on somebody? Probably that person you say you love the most. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say to some degree, you don't get discouraged by that because it means it was in you. Never be offended by what comes out of you because it was already in you. And don't be upset that God's disappointed because it's not like he didn't know it was in you either. He knew it was coming. He may have even divinely orchestrated the scenario that tipped the tea kettle or shook you up a little bit. And so we need to be encouraged when stuff comes out of us. If we're mindful and introspective, if it comes out of us, it means it's still in us. And we just have to either do something about it or keep an eye on it or repent of it. Or, I like it, uh, I've been in every car accident I've ever been in, I totaled the cars involved, and every car accident I've ever been in, Jesus came out of my mouth. Jesus! Oh, the last car accident I was in, we T-boned a car at 55 miles an hour. And I said, guys, guys, oh, Lord Jesus. And we went, bam. But I thought, thank God nothing else came out, especially with a car full of preachers involved. Like, you know, <laughs> dirty words. They would have cut me some slack. There was actually one time I, did, I was doing judo, and I, I, I reversed a throw called Uchimata, and I broke my nose on this guy named Benji's head. It's when I broke my nose, and I busted it so far I could see it out of my right eye. I dropped a very, 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 very hard cuss word when that happened. Now, thankfully, that was 2000, the year 2000. And I was so brokenhearted that that hard, hard, hard 
word came out of my mouth loud with as much force as my nose hit Benji's forehead that after I got out of the emergency room and I had blood everywhere, I had to come back to judo and apologize and repent. I said, I just want to repent to all of you guys for cussing. And they didn't hear it, but they said, man, if that's all you said, I'd have said a lot worse than that. They cut me slack, but I thought it's still in me. Jesus didn't come out of my mouth. That old bubble came to the surface pretty violently. Proverbs chapter 17. Let's look here. So let's jump from bubbles to metallurgy because part of the heart of discipleship is getting the impurities out of your life. And the only way this bottle here will retain its carbon dioxide is to stay cold. Jesus said be hot. And to stay under uh, and to let the, uh, the, the, the facade off the top. If you want the bubbles out, you got to take all of your facades off. I'm afraid to actually. I honestly thought about getting one full of water and doing this demonstration and shaking it up and then opening it on somebody on the front row. So the only way to get bubbles out of your life, sin, is to get yourself hot for God and take off all the facades we Southerners play with, acting like everything's okay when we know it's not, and acting like we're all pious and we're all got our act together. And you know, that, that's, that, that represents the cap. So anyway, let's be hot for God. Now, now to jump over to metallurgy, because it follows a very similar thing, God wants to heat us up to get the impurities out of our life. But all of discipleship really about, is about is getting things out of you and putting new things in you, maybe making a better alloy out of you. All of you ladies with gold on, it's not pure gold. It's been alloyed with either silver or typically silver. That way it's not too soft. Real gold, pure gold is so soft you can bend it easier than copper. It's very delicate, so it has to be alloyed with something to give it more tensile strength uh, and actually harden it so it doesn't scratch as easily. Platinum, if you ever look at platinum, is soft. It scratches way easier than gold does. Proverbs 17.3 says, The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the hearts. He wants to, the word try there doesn't mean to test, like we to try it, I'm going to try something out. It means to assay. Uh, and that's what we do in metallurgies. We assay metals. We did that when I worked at the mine. We ran assays on the zinc composition of our ore. And so the, fine, the, fern, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. That is, these are how we refine silver and how we refine gold. But the Lord tries the hearts. He wants to get the impurities out of our heart. Still does, because the heart is desperately wicked and curably sick. The heart can become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and the heart can become evil through unbelief. And so there's a lot of stuff that's in us right now today that's been there the whole time we've been born again. The Lord's not moved by it. If it comes to the surface, it might break our heart because we thought we were better than that, but he still wants to bring it to the surface. And he does that through opposition and affliction. He tries us, as in he heats things up. And this is why I say submit to wherever you're at. Submit to the process. Let that teacher be mean to you. We, we are such a soft society. We're looking for safe places everywhere. I was so ashamed. Some university, I think it was Yale, the whole girls' dorm got upset because they had straight white guys installing steam heaters, steam radiant heaters, and they said, we feel unsafe by these straight heterosisgender men. We either want transgenders or blacks or gays or lesbians, but these straight cisgender white men, they make us feel uncomfortable. 
It was in the news two weeks ago. I thought, isn't that a little racist? I mean, what if it was like an all-white girls' dorm and they said, well, you got a black guy in there installing the, I'm un- I feel unsafe around blacks. Isn't that playing to a racial stereotype? So now we're playing the white cisgender dude. I mean, like, how many plumbers do you know? I mean, when you think of a plumber, other than Mario and Luigi, what do you think of when you think of a plumber? Straight white guy. I've never seen an Asian plumber. I've never seen an Indian plumber. Always white guys. Pants always hanging down about seven to ten inches. <laughs> Big belly, hairy back, usually a cigar. But they can fix your toilet. That's what you want, right? <laughs> we, we, we're worried. We're trying to run from anything God could use to heat our life up. We're running from hard jobs. We are running from hard professors. We're running from hard churches. We're running from hard discipleship. We're running from anything that makes us uncomfortable, not realizing the hand of God wants to use it to refine our life. And so because it's a free nation, I can do what I want to. And you stay the same. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to get stuff out of us. Again, with this Coke bottle here, we keep the lid on tight. We give it a couple taps. It looks like everything's just copacetic. Look at how peaceful that thing is, having no idea how violent the potential is here under the right conditions. And some of you men know what I'm talking about because you go home and mama gets a little violent, mad, yelling, cussing, shaking, throwing stuff. And that's, well, that's some of our leaders. What? Yeah. And we have a pretty high standard around here for our leaders. So I want you to see the Lord tries the hearts. Now, when we deal with metallurgy, you cannot see in that chunk of ore the impurities. But the fire doesn't lie. The heat does not lie. It will smelt everything. It will take that gold or that silver. It will liquefy it. And you keep the temperature going up. And eventually, whatever the impurity is, it turns to slag. It cooks it. It cokes it. Uh, it causes it to rise to the surface, and you would have never known it was there until the heat got applied. Now, I, I've only been around smelting a few times. One time was at uh, the zinc refinery in Clarksville, and I got to watch zinc come out of the furnace. Actually, well, I got to be at the gold mine in North Carolina, so I've seen gold smelted as well. But uh, to watch the zinc be refined, and it comes out of the furnace, and it runs down like a trough, and they pour it into these giant bathtub-sized cauldrons, and it comes out molten, and these guys are standing around it in leather aprons with leather high gl- uh, elbow-high leather gloves and ping-pong paddles. And I, I remember thinking, ping-pong paddles? That's molten metal. We're playing with ping-pong paddles. And as the molten zinc filled these cauldrons that would, they would be cast in and then transported and used other, way, other places, the slag rose to the top like queso cheese skin, or like cream on milk. And those guys would sit there with these ping pong paddles and just scrape it off. The dark, dark stuff. And it would reveal the silvery zinc underneath it. But that, those impurities were in the zinc even before it was fully smelted. And you and I have stuff in us that is still there that is hurting our purification. It is affecting our purity. And there are certain ways they can, it can only come out. And if we're always running to the path of least resistance, we'll always have this stuff in us. 
Thank you, ma'am. Go to 1 Peter. Not to pick on women, but this verse applies to women, but it'll apply to men. 1 Peter 3 reveals to us that there are hidden things that are in us. We all know it. One of the things I've observed as a Southerner now is we like to keep everything just real docile. We don't want to be around anything too violent because we know what might come up. And that's the ugly us that mama told us to put a facade on. And so what we're interested in is tearing down facades, getting to the root of the problem. Uh, we don't want to bondo any issue in our life. We want to expose it. No, nobody wants bondo on their vehicle anyway. They want the real deal. 1 Peter 3 verse 4 says, actually verse 3, Women, let your adorning not be the outward adorning of braiding the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now let's stop there. This doesn't mean go naked without makeup. We do have brothers and sisters in Christ that use this scripture to support their doctrine that women should not adorn themselves. And for this reason, they, they don't braid their hair. They just put it up in a massive ant bee beehive, which honestly takes more time than braiding. All right? So let's just think about that extreme. And they also say you shouldn't wear gold. Well, what about silver? What about if your kid makes you a rubber band bracelet at vacation Bible school? Can you wear that? It says specifically gold, but this is why they won't let their hair be braided. And it also says, or putting on of apparel. Well, I don't see them go to their churches naked. Now, they do come really close. They wear burlap sacks. They got off the covered wagon. They rode to church in. But that's, the whole context is inverted here because the whole purpose is, or the point is, don't focus everything on the outward. We get that. Look beautiful. Little children, when they're innocent, little girls want to dress up. They want to put flowers in their hairs. Boys will pull flowers out of their girl's hair and stomp on it or eat it or crush it. <laughs> girls see flowers, they want to pick it. Boys see flowers, they want to kick them. So it's in little girls to adorn themselves and beautify themselves. So there's nothing sinful about that. Thank God we're delivered from the Aunt B spirit. Amen. Amen. So, okay, all right, Peter, so what should we focus on? Let your adorning be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of great price. So Peter says there's a hidden man of the heart, and the word hidden there is cryptos. We get the word cryptic or crypt, that which is hidden out of sight. It's not always in a negative context, but here it is. It means something is hidden that you don't want to be revealed. There's an implication, I guess, of shame. So don't worry so much about, you know, making your eyes look pretty, though you should if you want to. And don't worry so much about braiding your hair a special way, but if you want to, do it. Or certainly, please wear clothes. But what we ought to be working on is that hidden thing we keep hiding, those bubbles that if everything is just perfect, and if, if my husband will behave the way I want him to, and if my kids will behave the way I want them to, and if the house looks the way I want to, then nothing comes to the surface, and everybody thinks I'm as beautiful as I fancy myself. Nope. Nope, that's why God put me in your life, to rock your little boat. I've had so many dinners, people just draw it out of me. I, get, I mean, I know how to behave myself. I know how to sit there and be all proper and be quiet. I've sat at many tables with great men. I don't say a word the whole service or the whole dinner because it's not my place. And then I sit down with sheep and I think, 
I'm going to needle this. It's begging to be needled. I'm just going to stomp all over their birthday cake because they're begging for it. They can't even hear their own heart. They are such a control freak, just trying to be so put together. And there ain't nothing put together about their life. And that's the problem. They're faking it. They need to be, in a biblical sense, deconstructed that they might be made into the image and likeness of Christ. Peter said that years ago. He said, don't worry so much about the facade. Focus on that which you're ashamed of. Deal with that first. The hidden man of the heart. How do we adorn it, Peter? Let it be meek and quiet. That doesn't mean you don't speak. Teachable, peaceful. Quiet doesn't mean you hold your peace and never speak up. No, women are given a great gift to communicate. Women are by nature better communicators than men. So it's not talking about being quiet and women should be seen and not heard. It's talking about let's be teachable and peaceful. And, and this not just to pick on women. Men have this issue too. We need to be teachable and at peace within ourselves. Remember, right now everything in this bottle looks real peaceful. But the potential here. Anybody ever shook up one of these and dropped a mento in it? Pull a YouTube video up. Not right now. You should be paying attention to me. But it's a really cool thing. You can drill a little hole here, thread about five or six mentos on a needle, put the reverse thread it, put it through here, and pull that thing, drop those mentos, and you'll shoot a jet of soda 20, 30 feet in the air. That's the potential violence that's in here right now. I don't know why Mentos does it. Somebody could tell me. You don't have to tell me right now. I don't really care right now. But when mama is full of facades and mama is a control freak and daddy is grumpy and he makes everybody be quiet with the look of his eyes, there's more violence under Lake Placid than meets the eye. And he's not learned to get with God to heat himself up, to boil it off. He makes everybody else fear him. And that's manipulation and control. And it's a tyrant. And if it's a woman, she is a true Jezebel. And her mind is busy, 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 just trying to hold everything together rather than allowing the Lord to heat her up and bring impurities to the surface. So the ornament, what is the ornament God wants? It's a teachable and peaceful spirit or attitude which is in the sight of God of great price. That's what God wants for all of us. He wants our flavor to be teachable and peaceful. Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly. You can be meek and lowly and not be a pushover. You can be peaceful. Jesus is the prince of peace. That doesn't mean he's not a man of war. So don't think these are signs of weakness. These are signs of total stability. This is why people do drugs today. They do drugs to find peace and solace. We can have it just by allowing the Lord to heat things up in our life. If you'll submit to it. If, if you and I want to defend impurities, God will have to shut the furnace back down. No, no, not that, Lord. Don't burn that off. That, that's my identity. Why do you identify as anything but a Christian? And I don't mean LGBTQAIP2S identity. I mean like, no, no, no. That's how I view myself. I'm a, I'm a this. No, no. You're a slave to Christ. You're a born-again servant. You just do what God tells you to do. Amen. Let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 14. Come over here, then we'll drop back to the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go verse 24. If all prophesy, 1 Corinthians 14, 24. If all prophesy and there come in one that believes not or one unlearned, 
he is convinced of all. He is judged of all, talking about prophecy. He's, uh, convinced means rebuked. Judged means investigated. Verse 25, and thus are the secrets. That's our same word, cryptos. The secrets of his heart made manifest. Getting in services, God will heat up your life and cause the secrets, the cryptos of your heart to come to the surface. The attitude, the unforgiveness, the offense, the laziness, the shame. This is what we're aiming to do as Christians. You don't realize it, but as, as, as a precious metal in the eyes of God, he loves you, you're precious to him, but he wants impurities out. That's his job. He can't stand to look at us and see impurities in us. Now, he loves us the way we are, but he will not leave us that way. The seeker-friendly heresy says this. God loves you the way you are, and he wants to keep you the way that you are. So come as you are, stay as you are. That's a lie from heaven or from hell, uh, mocking heaven. What the Bible says is come as you are, and we're going to change as you go. Remember, Jesus said, come, take up your cross, and follow me. Otherwise, you don't deserve me. You're not worthy of me. So the secrets of his heart, we all have those things. Some of them we know, some of them we don't know. Those that we know, we keep hidden, and we only let them out. I've never told anybody this before, but I kind of secretly like this. Why is it a secret? What are you ashamed of? Do you know that the rest of us will condemn you for it because it's sin? So why, why do we have secrets? Jesus also said there's nothing secret that shall not be made manifest. So these are impurities God wants to get out of our life. We ought not live these private lives. I mean, just if you hadn't noticed, when I preach, I try to share almost everything that goes on in our family. It's made my wife upset sometimes. I've had to tell her, get over it. This is what we're called to do. It bugs me that some of our leadership lives a very private, secluded life. They won't share anything. Let me, let me vent publicly. When you text me and you say you can't do something, you owe me an explanation. I'm going to tell my elders that. When you text me and you say you can't do something for me, don't tell me that won't work for me. You owe me an explanation. We live openly. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I always give you an explanation why I'm not going to be here, why I can't do something. I'm always over in my explanation so you know, so you don't get into vain imaginations. But it really bugs me that even in our church, some of our leaders, my deacons, my elders, my department says, that's not going to work for me. I can't do it. Why? And you know what? I can't ask you why because you control things. You owe me an explanation. I live for you. I honored you with an office. Give me an explanation. What are you hiding? What are you hiding? What are you hiding? Get it right or give me your resignation. Amen. We're supposed to live openly. There's nothing hidden that shall not be made manifest. What are we doing in private that we can't explain or talk about? I understand there's things that go on in the marriage bedroom that we don't advertise, but everybody knows we do it because we've got kids. But other than that, what are you ashamed of? What's so private? Well, we're going to be out of town this weekend. Where are you going? Tell me, where are you going? I'll tell you where I go. I tell you all my movements. I tell you where I go everything. I went caving yesterday. I was at a football game yesterday. I tell you everything. Have you not caught the vision by now? Are you that stupid? I mean, well, you, you should just that cookful. You hate this town and you're like it. You get your nose out of my holler. <laughs> Don't you be drinking out of my water and hole. <laughs> That's what my kids call. Hey, Billy water. Huh. 
God help us. So, secrets of your heart. Jeremiah 6. Let's jump around now here. Jeremiah 6. Oh, I don't know I'm helping you. I feel like I'm uh, helping myself a little bit. Jeremiah 6. Trying to get us to a higher place of excellence. We live openly. We need to live openly. We're Christians. We're children of light. We have nothing to hide. If you can't tell me where you took your family this weekend, why'd you take them there? Why can't you, why, why can't you tell me what you did? I confessed to watching that weird Dune movie last Sunday. Sandy and weird. Did I mention Sandy? Big worms. And apparently the worms make the spice, which means everybody's snort, snorting space worm poop. And they're hallucinating through time. I didn't mind to tell you I saw that movie. To warn you, don't go see it. It's weird. And not because of the themes, but because of the spirit that's on the thing. So why, why so secretive? Some of you are weird. I just want you to hear it from me. I think you're weird. I think you're too private. I don't know who taught you that level of weirdness, but we live openly. Our comings and goings are made known to you. That's what Paul said. You have known what manner of life we live. You know our doctrine, our, our, our love for you. You know it. Why, why are you so secretive? This isn't a cult. Quit trying to make it one. Tell me where you went. You're my leader. You owe it to me. Yeah. We submit one to another. What, what's in there that you still don't want tapped on? What, what's in there, huh? What is it? You don't, it's as long as you can control everything. Nobody will know your secret allegiances, your secret lusts, your secret agendas. God will manifest it, though, because he promised it would. When I pray for our families, typically the, I don't pray for everybody every day, but when people get on my heart as a pastor, the most common prayer I pray is this, Lord, I rebuke darkness off of them because I can see it. That's the most common prayer I pray for this church when I'm in prayer mode for us. Because if you're doing good, I don't need to pray for you. But when you come up on my radar, I'm usually rebuking darkness off you. And darkness loves secrets. Darkness loves secrets. But whatever we do, we do in the light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So why can't you fellowship with us? Could it be because you don't walk in the same light of our Savior that the rest of us walk in? So you keep shadows. And God wants to turn up the heat and bring those impurities out. Impurities in any metallurgy makes the metal darker. When you remove the impurities, whether it's sulfur, whether it's manganese, whatever it is, it will always cause the metal to brighten. Platinum becomes brighter. Gold becomes brighter. Silver becomes brighter. Why don't we want to be pure? Why don't we want shadows of turning taken out of us? Jeremiah 6, verse 27. I'm going to read this to you in the King James, and then I'll read it to you out of the Amplified. It says, I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people, 
that thou mayest know and try their way. And the Amplified says uh, that I will have set you as a tower and a fortress among my people and as an assayer, that is someone who runs metallurgical assays, and a prover of ore among my people. So one of the things ministers do among God's people, they're towers of safety, towers of oversight, but they inspect God's people and they prove what they're made out of. I have found that when the preaching gets a little close to people's homes, they begin to withdraw from the heat because they don't like what the heat's bringing to the surface. Listen to me, sweetie. The heat's not the problem. What's in you is the problem. I get dealt with the same way. I preach my own conviction sometimes. I'm up here kicking my own tail when I'm hammering you. I'm going, man, I got to get that right. Lord, I'm going to give an altar call now and repent. I, all I can do is in my heart say, Lord, that's me. Forgive me. And I got to keep on delivering the word and get it right later. So don't take it personal. Just take it personal. Amen. Don't get mad at the heat. The heat's only bringing out what's already in you. What's been in there since you were a weird six-year-old. That's all this heat does. And you know what? The gold says, thank you, because I want to be pure. And I couldn't get it out myself. And here we are getting offended at the heat God brings to make us better. What you ought to be is ashamed you didn't submit to the heat years ago. Because what happens is, again, back to the bubbles, it's getting to the surface. It should have been dealt with years ago. It's getting bigger. And now all these bubbles that have collected on the top of our Sprite bottle, they're way bigger than they were down here. And now I can see they're starting to clump together and making even bigger issues. Wouldn't you rather just deal with it when it was down here? Or how many of you know, if I just take this lid off and just put it in the sun, it'll go flat and you won't ever see any violence. Just let the word of God, the heat of God's presence, just burn you in prayer, in worship. Just sit there in the service and go, whoo, it is hot and it feels good. Whoo, ain't going to be nothing left to yell at my spouse about later. Oh, I'm so on fire. I can't even hate my pastor right now. Sneaking and lying about me, running me down at your dinner table. Come on, you little weasel. Weasel. Has there ever been a positive portrayal of a weasel? Mongoose, yes. Weasel, no. I didn't call you a mongoose. You're not Ricky Ticky Tavy. You're a weasel. God's preachers are set as towers and fortresses among God's people and as assayers and provers of ore among the people of God. We're experts at seeing slag. We're experts at saying, no, that gold's not pure yet. Here's the thing about any ore, especially like gold and metal and all that. When you purify them, you smelt them, and the slag is removed, they actually become more dense. They become heavier. They become weightier because you've removed the impurities that have a lower specific gravity that was taking up volume without the weight. That's what specific gravity is. You know, it's, it's grams per cubic centimeter. So what you have to do is say, I want to be more effective, Lord. Smelt me. Melt, get this stuff out of me so I can be heavier, weightier, so I can have more effect. So now if we increase your mass 
and your density, and we apply a force to you, we have mass, or a force is mass times acceleration. Now you're more effective when we launch you at whatever God has given you because the acceleration remains the same, but the mass is greater. The density is greater, and now you're more impactful. Or you can just be a little hillbilly hit Christian with your facades and your pretty little makeup and your pretty little control and your constructs all around you. Or you can say, Lord, just burn it. Burn it all down. I'd rather burn now than burn later. So smelt it. Turn it up. Look at uh, Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. We're not in heavy persecution yet. So just take submission on the job as your furnace of affliction. Just shut up and do what you're told. Your boss signs your paycheck. He owns you 40 hours a week. As long as it's not illegal, do it. You're not too big. I used to tell my boss, it all pays the same. You mind to go get me some coffee? I don't care. It all pays the same. I don't have an ego. You don't understand. I graduated with geology. I sold bird feed. So to fetch coffee for a Vice president, I just stepped up. I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm going to do it. Sometimes the furnace of affliction is just submitting when you don't want to. Oh, I didn't realize you were so American. I mean, who are you to tell me what to do? I ain't got to listen to you. Now, listen, if we're husbands, we don't exploit that. If we're wives, we don't, mothers, we don't exploit that over our children. But, but the furnace of affliction gets stuff out of us. And as Americans, we're very rebellious. We don't like being told to do nothing. That's why we have 100 million Americans not working right now. They don't want to be told what to do, not when the government will give them our money for free, which I have zero respect for, unless you have a true disability. Laziness is not one. He says, I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. And if you think coming to church is hard, you need to grow up. But notice he won't choose you until you've first been afflicted. We are very allergic to affliction. Our, even our word of faith doctrine has uh, undermined our doctrine of affliction because we don't think we have to believe we receive any hardship. But the apostles, remember those guys? Those that walk with Jesus, they said in the book of Acts, remember that book? I mean, Acts isn't just Acts chapter 2. There's other stuff in the book of Acts that through much, much affliction, we inherit the kingdom. Many are the trials and afflictions that awaited me, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Affliction makes you better. Affliction shows you what you're made out of. And when the only affliction you face is a, a professor being mean to you or a boss being rough with you or your pastor looking at you and thinking, saying, you're weird, stop being weird. That, if that's the only affliction you know, Wow, you're blessed. You're so blessed. But I don't know if you're going to pass the end times test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just so you know, I do think some of you are weird. And I mean it with all sincerity and honesty. If you were to come, Pastor, do you think I'm weird? Probably, yeah. Give me a second. Yes, yeah, there it is. I got to be honest. Do I think they're weird? Yeah, that's weird. Well, where? Do you have time? <laughs> Look at Zechariah chapter 13. Uh, Dylan, can you pull this up in the New Living Translation? This will work really well in the New Living Translation. I actually, during worship, I sent this to Pastor Gary Brown in Ireland. He just texted me 
two or three minutes ago. He said in Ireland, where he's at in Armagh, Ireland, Northern Ireland, not the Irish Republic, he said their churches are only back 25%. Society's completely open. They almost have everybody vaccinated, but the churches are back 25%. And that's the last days. That's where we're at. And he said his testimony was people just learn to do something different instead of church on Sundays. Armagh, the home of St. Patrick, he has two churches there, apparently. The Catholic Cathedral and the Protestant Temple, or the Protestant House of God, both of them are St. Patrick. That's where he's from. That's where he did his ministry 1,500 years ago. Uh, but they're back 25%. Zechariah chapter 13. I just, in fact, I just texted to him. This was his reply. I said, I thought of the European church with only a third returning. I just said, love you, man, never quit. God's our help. He said, thank you, sir. I needed that encouragement. I really need it. He's in an affliction. We're blessed, and we're so blessed we've just become shiftless. You have no contention, so you create one with me. That's pathetic. You have no contention, nothing to fight with, so you allow the enemy to give you a bone of contention between me and you, not realizing, humbly speaking, you need me more than I need you. I need you, but don't let the devil separate you from the pastor you're called to. Don't, don't be that stupid. And don't teach your children how to be disrespectful to the house of God, the officers of God, the pastor of God, because they're going to grow up and graduate your house and they better have more than a spiritual GED. Because our hope is that they graduate and if they're called away, they find another house of God with elders they respect and with a pastor they submit to. Because this thing just replicates itself throughout the world. So you're going to sow to your children destruction. Uh, destruction. Jer uh, Zechariah chapter 13. Let's read the whole chapter. It's only like 10 verses. Zechariah, prophet for the last days. On that day, we in New Living Translation, on that day a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. I will remove them from the land, both the false prophets and the spirit of, the, of impurity that came with them. False prophets bring a spirit of impurity. That's what we're talking about is impurity. How come for all those TBN prophets, some of you are stupid enough to follow, none of them prophesied the church is going to be at 50% after COVID? No, they were all prophesying it would be done by Passover two years ago. Well, they were way wrong. How come nobody saw the great falling away being expedited and churches empty through a COVID thing? So I'm glad when the false prophets go away because the spirit of impurity goes with them. If anyone continues to prophesy, his own father and mother will tell him, you must die for you have prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. And as he prophesies, his own father and mother will stab him. That's some good vindication right there. We don't do that. We house our prodigals. We feed them. We finance them. We protect them. We mock God. And we partake of their sin and their perversion is upon our home, our health, our money, and our marriage. This is what a prophet of the last day said which should happen. 
On that day, people will be ashamed to claim the prophetic gift. I'm there. I don't want to prophesy. Too many nutsos out there. No one will pretend to be a prophet by wearing prophet's clothes. <laughs> I like it. He will say, I'm no prophet. I'm a farmer. I began working for a farmer as a boy. That's what I do. I don't claim to be a pastor unless people ask, so what do you do? Because uh, I know the shame that comes with my office. When we travel, Lydia tells everybody, my daddy's a preacher. Shush, stop, stop. I was trying to witness to him. You just killed it. And if someone asks, then what about these wounds on your chest? Because true prophets and preachers still do what they have to do. He will say, I was wounded at my friend's house. <laughs> He'll lie about the scars of ministry. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. The prophet changes his prophecy. The man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Pastors are supposed to be God's partner. Strike down the shepherd. Now, he's already talking about killing false prophets and killing false shepherds now. Strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn against the lambs. Now, what we're about to see, we just lived out. Strike down the shepherds, because I pray against them all the time. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land. One-third are in Europe going to church. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Amen. Huh. That's why we want purification. Smelt me, O oh God. I'm left in the land of the living. Everybody else is gone. Everybody else has fallen by the wayside. They're streaming full time. They're walking dead. Those that are left, Lord, smite us, smelt us, afflict us, purify us, so that when we call on you, you'll claim us. Maybe one of the reasons we don't get our prayers answered is because we're not pure. This is going to sound bad as a preacher, because I was taught I should answer everybody's phone calls. But there are even preachers who call me, I ignore them because they're dirty. I don't hear them. I look and I see who it is and I say, no, there are the occasional sheep and church members who call me and I think, uh, they're dirty. I don't want to fellowship with that. What more, what greater reason, what more of a reason do we need to be purified so that when we call upon the Lord, we can say, Lord, we've submitted to your furnace. We've submitted to the smelting pot. Lord, we're calling upon you. Answer us. Hear our cry and answer our desire like you said you would in 1 John. This is why we've got to do this. This is why we have to submit to this affliction. This is why submission will help us to do what we're told even when we don't agree. So what? Just do it. If it isn't sin, if it isn't heresy, what's the problem? Well, we just don't believe that that's right for us. What makes you think you're smart enough to make that decision? You're teaching your family to sow rebellion in a day that the Antichrist winds are blowing. You ever thought maybe the commandment came just to prove to you how rebellious you are? 
You ever thought it was just a test just for you and you failed it? Pastor Vaughn would encourage you, though. He'd say, don't worry. You get to keep taking the test till you pass it. This far have you come, but no further. You won't get to come any further till you pass this test. God's good like that. You can be 80 years old in fifth grade. Weirdest, ugliest fifth grader. <laughs> but he'll let you keep taking the test until you remember your social studies lesson and your language arts lesson. Do they even teach those anymore? Are they too hard? We need to submit to this affliction, whatever it may be. Maybe it's coming. Maybe we're already in it and we're kicking against it. The name of the game is purification. Purify your attitude. Purify your members, that is your body parts. Purify your thoughts. Purify your desires. Purify your motives. And if we do this, God will answer our cry. It's a promise from Zechariah. And no matter, uh, no matter what happens, just, just let the Lord shake you up. And don't be shocked by what comes to the surface. Let me also give you this last kind of secret here as it occurs to me. I have purposely shaken people, shook them. I don't know what the proper verb tense is. I, I upset them. I have purposely from time to time upset people intentionally. Because I'm a pastor, I know your buttons. And I have purposely from time to time pushed them to see how people would handle it. And there has from time to time been people that responded so violently, I said in my heart, I will never help them again. Because they didn't see that as help. They saw that as personal, and they're still mad at me. So what happens is I get to minister to them from a great distance. One of the things Pastor Jeremy Files shared with me out in Texas, it really blessed me. We were talking about church governments. And he said, the, the reason a lot of these churches fail is they see church promotion or church administration as a business, so they hire from without. And he said, I have learned, and I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I'm older than him. I didn't think this way before because it's, it's changing the way I'm going to do things. He said, I only promote people who see me as their father because if I need to correct them, i got to come to them as a son. And if they can't receive me as a spiritual leader like that, then I can't use them, so I won't. And I thought, I should have heard that 10 years ago. Because I don't need to be afraid to approach anybody in our church's leadership because of their attitude. Yeah. Because the kingdom is built on trust and submission and pulling together for the gospel cause. And so judge yourself for your impurity. See where affliction shakes you up. And the funny thing is, we've, we've all had sodas enough. We know when a Coke is dead as can be. And we even know when it's overcarbonated and we have to tell the, the waste restaurant, I, I think you're out of syrup. It's nothing but carbonation. We can even taste instantly. How, how much more does the Lord taste us and go, mmm. There's nothing sweet left in you, son. It's bitter. It makes my nose hurt. <laughs> Burns my tongue. May that never be us. Amen.